Hey, it's Andrew, and welcome back to Season 3 of Network Disrupted, where I, along with some very smart guests, help fellow technology leaders trade notes on navigating disruption in our space. This season, I've set a goal of exploring the issue of enterprise cloud adoption from as many angles as I can. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Patterson, who is a systems engineer at Uber. I wanted to bring Ryan on today because among the customers that I work closely with at BlueCat, they are ahead of the game from a figuring out the cloud perspective. I'm not saying Uber's approach is perfect, but I think that if you're on iteration two or so of your cloud journey, it's useful to hear how somebody like Ryan talks about his company's infrastructure practices. Listen to the things he seems to take for granted to really understand the kinds of processes and approach they seem to have. All right, let's get to it. And if you have a moment, please leave me a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to these. The feedback is always so helpful, and you'll be helping more people like you discover the show. Maybe you can give me a sense of the complexity. We love the pilot proof of concept approach. It influences everything. It influences the human experience. There were several failures along the way. We want to be early adopter customers. You are handling sensitive information. Network disruptive. So, Ryan, thank you for joining. Um, really looking forward to this discussion. You started out working for, for Geek Squad. So you've sort of transitioned. I mean, it sounds like you've touched everything, but you've also transitioned from working with consumers to toward this corporate environment. But uh, so and in, in, in the projects today are are pretty diverse. Like what sort of projects are you are you involved with? Right now, we're we're kind of moved past that rapid growth stage that I was originally part of when I first joined Uber. And now we're working on consolidating and automating a lot of our processes to be as efficient as possible. So we have a very strong focus on efficiency and, and finding what things we can do to make things more effective within our infrastructure. Right. That drive towards efficiency, how do you measure that? How do you show the progress along the way? Yeah, a big part for us is uh, we are very data driven. Uh, a lot of the things that we try to implement through our infrastructure is what kind of metrics can we use to evaluate the work that we're doing? Um, that's one of the first exercises we take whenever we start a project. So for example, if we're moving towards automation uh, in a certain category, DHCP reservations or anything else along those lines, we first have to gather the metrics on what we're doing and what, how much time are we investing currently into this process. So we, we would go through our ticketing systems to see how many tickets we're getting for something, how much time we're investing into these individual tasks, and then use those as a metrics to see if it's something that we should be investing our time in to automate or to streamline or to self-service in those regards. So the first thing we always do is look at data. It's almost like test first development, you know, you don't, yeah. you know but I, I think that's critical. I mean, you know, obviously there's tons of stuff to potentially automate, but that idea of being able to measure success and measure true value back to the business based on on those metrics, I, I think is a is is a critical way of showing the value. This is a discussion I've had multiple times, like in, in our industry in the world of DNS and DCP and IPAM, you know, oftentimes people look at this as like operational value. If it's on, good. If it's off, bad. It's like a <laughs> binary state. You know, it's really bad if it's off and and it's normal if it's on, you know, which, which makes it very difficult to look at things like return on investment, for instance, or, you know, help uh, guide and justify any sort of spend. So beyond that sort of drive to efficiency, do you also use this data to sort of justify investments in technology or, or you know, additional staff or whatever the case might be? Yeah, definitely. One of the things that we- it's been the hardest thing for me to grapple with in IT is a lot of businesses are about profitability, how much money you can generate from you know investing in this product versus this project. Right. Uh, but for IT, 
it, you don't generate money for the company. Your, your job is to save money and be as efficient so everybody else can do their job. So using the data and, and other tools like that, our job is to step in and say, how much money can we save the company by doing X, Y, and Z? We have to almost flip that theory of, of money making on its head and, and do the opposite, right? How much money through this project or this project can we uh, save the, the company uh, in the long run? Right. That's fantastic. And, and that, that's, that's, like a, that's a broad goal across Uber IT. Yes. It's every company that I've worked for in the past before Uber has had that same mentality. When you're working in IT, you're a service industry, you're non-revenue driving. Yep. So you have to go out there and, and find the, the, the ways to be the most efficient for the people that you support. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that beyond the, the cost saving side of that, you're all, the, the efficiency also, I, I would imagine, aligns with business goals at this point because things need to happen faster. You know, at some point you can't keep up with the help desk tickets, even if you hired 20 people, like, you know, stuff is changing faster, correct? Correct. And that's one of the things that when you're building out a service or a system, you have to look for that flexibility and growth with it as well. Uh, you have to say, yes, this works for our systems now. And then you you factor in, are we going to grow 10%, 20% or, you know, many tech companies go through that phase of rapid growth. How much can this this system or service that we're developing or deploying with our infrastructure grow with the company. And do you hire, do you, do you compensate for that growth with employees or through automation or services that you're deploying? The services need to be deployed in one way or another, whether you have four offices or 200 across the world, you have to make sure you deploy systems that can scale easily as well as be, you know, minimum investment on the, uh, the employee time. A lot of people don't factor in the amount of money it costs to hire those 20 people. You know, right. this service costs $100,000 to, to run in our infrastructure, but on the other side, you're hiring three people that make much more than that just to do the same tasks. So you have to do that, that cost-saving analysis. Yeah, no, for sure. The total cost of ownership, you know, and, and, and that operation expenses obviously oftentimes dwarfs the cost of, of the technology or the product or whatever you've, you've implemented. So you... In IT at Uber, you're spending obviously a great deal of time ensuring that that people, devices could connect to the systems they need, making sure the systems are available. I think at Uber, you also have this product you guys build with this probably massive set of people on the production side of the house that are just jamming out software left and right and going down that road. We often we often talk to companies and to people where the you know, there, there's this conflict between the 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 sort of the IT team and the cloud team, and 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 both conflict in in like at the at the personality level as well as the change threshold, and 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 you know it creates tension. And how does that work? How do you guys interact with the production team? Because at some point, obviously, all this stuff comes together. Yeah, so for us, there is a pretty strong line between our production team and our corporate team. Uh, to the point where I don't know much about our production environment. Uh, they have their own set of tools that they use to get everything done. Our job is to provide everything below that set of tools. So uh, DNS, DHCP, Active Directory, all the different services that we provide. Then also the communication tools, Slack, Gmail, all the stuff that we use for our, our communication. So as long as we're doing our job effectively, we don't hear from them. And I think that's part of the IT uh, motto is it, people only know you exist when something goes wrong. And that's kind of one of the things that we do here. So on the corporate side of things, though, we, we have a very great collaborative team. And I think we have a very good structure going forward. Um, each of the teams are responsible for a horizontal slice of our infrastructure. So we don't have these, uh, you know, vertical silos 
of like uh, somebody that owns a platform and a network piece and so on. So we try to, to clean things up and organize them in such a way that we have these service owners who are responsible for networking, who are responsible for cloud and platform, who are responsible for operating systems. And that allows us to have specialists to navigate the entire thing and then provide services to a production team, depending on what they need. Do they need a Linux host or a Windows host? Well, then at that point, you can go to the same team and they'll be able to take care of you in the infrastructure. So for us, and then our change management processes are built in for all of our teams. You know, we have a change board and we do all these communications to make sure that the changes that we're making on one level of these platforms is not affecting another. So uh, I don't think we have a lot of problems on our side. I think we have great collaboration with an Uber in terms of the corporate side of things. We work really well together to provide a world-class experience for our, uh, right. our production side of things. Right, right. Sure. What I just heard is good fences make good neighbors in many cases. And and obviously between those domains, there's there's security considerations and a bunch of other stuff where you want those things to be separate. But that's great that there's harmony in 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 that relationship. Agree. At the end of the day, if I had my way, there wouldn't be fences at all, right? Having that ability to be open and be able to have those communications and talk, it allows for a lot more collaboration. I'm always, oh, who isn't, but for collaboration over everything else. So right. the more communication you can have between those different layers, uh, the better you can build services. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I, w I wasn't I wasn't actually saying everybody should build fences. <laughs> no, um, no. <laughs> but, but it is it is from a from a virtual fence standpoint. You know, obviously uh, for a lot of very good reasons, uh, different parts of this architecture on the production side and the office side need to be separate, at least architecturally. You know, and and so obviously there you need you need fences. So Ryan, in terms of the data you collect, you know, you give an example of, of automating DTP reservations or something. Is it around, you know, man hours? Is it around, what is the data? And I guess the answer probably is going to be different based on the use case, but, but, you know, what sort of data are you going after normally? So uh, for us, you're right. It depends on the use case and what we're trying to accomplish within our infrastructure. So using the, the case of DHCP reservations, what we'd start by doing is collecting all of our tickets that we've we've done before in the past and just see how much time we're investing into a product to see if it's even worth it. Are we? And how we do this is we use the Atlassian suite, uh, the JIRA tools for this. And we have all the people that are performing the day-to-day -day operations tasks add their hours to this. How many hours did you invest? How many right. minutes did you invest in, in these tasks? Um, and, and then we have labels. Happily? No, <laughs> but it's, you know, there's certain things. For me, there's two different ways that you can collect data. One that is you can collect the data, have them put the, the information into the system so that you can build metrics and the other one is you start enforcing those metrics on, hey, you need to complete this many tasks and you need to, you know, that those are two different sides of that right. data collection process. For me, it's about data gathering, right? At the end of the day, if you're working hard and you're putting the time and effort into it, then we shouldn't be expecting you to put in 40 hours of Jira tickets in a 40-hour week, et cetera. It should, we should be looking at these to say, hey, what, what was accomplished and what can we get off of your plate? So for all the different services we have on our infrastructure, not just DDI, but Active Directory, we have these metrics that we gather that are saying, hey, we're spending a lot of time doing group additions to Active Directory or DHCP reservations for BlueCat. And if we start seeing that, hey, 30 hours a week is being invested into these projects, what can we do from an automation point of view or a self-service point of view, right? I know it, the end goal for a lot of companies is to automate everything and then eventually not have a workforce, um, but that's not going to always happen. No, um, so also self-service, right. there's always something going on. So self-service, putting that on the other teams, you know, if somebody needs to make a DHCP reservation, configure your system to allow them to do it for their the VLANs that they're working on or anything else like that and and offload that responsibility from your team so that your team can invest itself into other projects that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. What what I always find interesting in that process is 
and 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 I'm, I'm thrilled you mentioned this. I mean, you a couple times, whether it's self service or or it's automation, you're thinking about the customer, and, right. and you know your customer who's probably internal mostly. Fine. So you're thinking about your customer, and oftentimes the customer doesn't have the information that your experts that might do this manually have or don't have the same understanding. Uh, and I'm just not just saying of the UI or the API. It's more of a domain expertise, you know? And, and so when, when oftentimes when I think of successful automation, I think about, you know, who, who's going to execute this? Is it going to be executed from ServiceNow? Is, and then therefore who, what information is in ServiceNow? And if it's going to be done through some API from some, you know, some, somebody else who's automating, deploying a virtual machine and part of it is they want a reservation or something, right? So who is that user? And then what, what is my, uh, you know, what, what understanding do I believe they have? And now I'm, I'm going to craft that self-service for, for them to be successful. And I guess my point is I often see things like automation being measured just with man hour savings. But in some cases, you're just sort of pushing the complexity to somebody else versus thinking of them like a successful, did I meet my user's requirement? You know, and uh, and I'm curious if, if that sort of thinking goes into your process as well. Definitely. And I think it comes down to just having constant engagement with your customers. I think, you know, everybody thinks of a customer in, in your general sense. You go into a store, you purchase something. But anytime somebody is consuming a service of yours, in my opinion, that's a customer. Yep. Your job is to provide them a world-class experience and whatever you do. So for me, it's it's having those constant engagement with those customers. If you look at anything, you know, Safeway, Best Buy, et cetera, they have reward cards and loyalty cards, and they're trying to build your trust. And for me, on the infrastructure side of things, it's having those one-on-ones with them or with your stakeholders. You know, a stakeholders isn't something for a project. It's an ongoing thing that happens within your infrastructure. So for me, I know all the different teams that consume my service and what they're trying to accomplish. When we're doing project planning for the year, I always try to reach out and figure out what projects they're working on so that I can adjust in and have them included into whatever I'm working on as well. So for me, it's a constant engagement process to work with my stakeholders to understand how my service is being consumed. Uh, you know, a lot of people lose sight of it and they have, oh, these are the things that I want to accomplish, but all the things that they want to accomplish within a given year might not actually have any impact on stakeholders that need something from that service. So for me, I try to base my projects on the work that I'm accomplishing on what my stakeholders need, not what I think I need. Right. We're, so right now, you're at your home. Uh, we're still in the in the grips of uh of this pandemic hopefully on the tail end of it hopefully will you know those who want to will be going back to to the office at some point but i'm, I'm sort of curious with with you and your team has this shift in the way you're working disrupted your ability to meet with those stakeholders or disrupted you know do you do you think your team's more efficient now or less efficient I mean, what's been the impact for us, I think that the needs of our stakeholders have just changed. You know, we still have a lot of requirements that are needed. Uh, for example, we had a lot more focus on enterprise offices and building the infrastructure in in our our offices. Right. Uh, and now it's it's we moved to a VDI solution in which we have all of our our users uh, logging into AWS or, or Azure for some one way or another. So for me, it's, the requirements have just changed. We're just doing different things. We're we're getting them the same services but just in a different facet of the business so for me it's and then once that eventually winds down hopefully when this pandemic comes to an end it's just going to change back to how it was in in, in a, a hybrid sense maybe maybe we have a lot right. of people stay on aws or vdi or whatever it is right. and then maybe we have half of them in the office right. so it's just it's gonna just more more requirements rather than less <laughs> no for sure for sure and so 
you know your your team and and obviously IT is 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 involved in cloud as part of the solutions and services that you're you're delivering and across multiple clouds. How is your team dealing with the 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 different skill sets that's often necessary to drive out on-premises infrastructure versus cloud infrastructure? Do you tend to have uh, different silos of people working in those two different areas, or are you? It's the the service is the service, and it might be some of it on-premise and some in the cloud, and it's more of a, a service focus. It depends on which layer of the infrastructure you're talking about. So, for example, our cloud and platforming team is responsible for managing our on-prem and uh, cloud-based infrastructure. So, basically, having the all the way up until where you start hosting servers. Their job is to make sure that we can deploy a VM in any situation, whether we need it in Azure or we need it in AWS or on-premise in any of our data centers around the world. So, we have a team that's dedicated to making sure that we have a platform where we need it, when we need it. And then we, as we move up to the operating system, the same thing, right? We have a team that's dedicated to making sure we can get you the right office operating system configured in the right environment where you need it, when you need it. Uh, and then as that continues up. Service is yeah. the same thing. Do you need DNS in the cloud? Do you need DNS on-prem? Do you need you know, Active Directory? What, what, what do you need? And we'll find a way to use all this flexibility that we've built on the layers beneath in order to deploy what you need it, when you need it. Got it. Yeah. So, so your, your team's the Uber IT teams are building the appropriate abstractions so that they can provide the same service from the perspective of the end user. They they have a VM or they have an operating system or services available, but that you have the optionality and you know scale to go deploy where it's it's necessary. Yeah, in a company of our size, flexibility and scale is a huge thing. And luckily for us, we have a team, at least in my opinion, that can support that kind of thing. Look, you you know you work for a technology company. And you work for a company that, you know, it, it's when I look at across sort of the different verticals of, of companies I work with, in many cases, uh, you know, the, the cloud, it's like there needs to be another team working on that because those that are building these services on premises, either from a time perspective, from a skill set perspective, they can go learn. The, they're smart people. They can go learn that stuff. But, but this is what they're doing. So you end up with silos working on premises and the cloud. And I would imagine, uh, you know, in technology in general, in those verticals, there's less of it. And, and I think I think that's what you're saying. It, it's no, of course, like you're responsible for DNS. And so therefore, you deploy it where it needs to be deployed. Yeah, and it comes down to another type of uh, methodology that we use here is the idea that we have co-service owners as well. We don't have one person that's fully responsible for everything, so we have the ability to go learn other services within our infrastructure. So if I'm the sole owner of you know DDI within our infrastructure, that doesn't mean I can take any vacation. So one of the things we do is we yeah. make sure we're cross-training and collaborating with other people on our team so that we have other people that can understand, at least on a conceptual level, what's going on with the different services so that somebody can step away or move away, et cetera. And that's the same thing that happens, for example, on our cloud team is that we have specialists in each of these different you know, cloud environments or on-prem versus off-prem. And then they, they collaborate to make sure that they have the knowledge gaps filled. Right. Good. Fantastic. Ryan, thank you so much. Super interesting. And uh, I always enjoy talking to you because you just seem like you love what you're doing so much. And so, you know, I can sort of hear your your passion through the through the phone, I was going to say, but through the Zoom. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the time.